Well, good morning. Be turning your Bibles, please, to the book of Mark, chapter 16. We'll be finishing out the book of Mark today. Mark chapter 16. I must confess, you know, this week as I've been preparing this message, I've just, it was a real struggle. Sometimes it is when you labor in God's word, and I've just been telling Katie all week long, I just feel uneasy about preaching this message today, and I I couldn't put my finger on it. I still can't put my finger on why, (coughs) but I just struggled greatly with this this week, and not exactly sure why. You know, maybe it's because when you get to this section of text, 9 through 20, you see all these brackets and everything saying, earliest manuscripts don't include this, and then you read on, and you read about people drinking deadly poison, and snakes and stuff, and you're like, this is weird, (laughs) and so I'm like, what, where do you go with this, you know, and I I read commentaries, and they say, oh, you shouldn't base a sermon off this text, or, you know, and then they give you all this academic stuff as to whether it should be there, whether it should not be there, and that just kind of throws you a little bit. So <clears throat> it's in our Bibles, and we're going to preach it. Um, we're going to preach it, and we're not going to get into uh, all the academic arguments of whether it should be there or not be there, whether it's an appendix, whether Mark wrote it or not wrote it. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about that, we can talk about that later. You can come see me. I've read a lot about it, and I'm glad to talk to you about all that great fun stuff if you'd like to, but uh, we're not going to dig into that today. And so what I want to do is, is pray and just uh, ask the Holy Spirit to help us this morning uh, with this text and to work greatly in our hearts. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you for your spirit. And uh, God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts now in this time. And Lord, give us wisdom to understand your word. Help us, Lord, to see how it uh, applies to our lives today. And Lord, I pray that you change our hearts, Lord, today as we encounter your word. You know, if we, if we fully understand it without the work of your spirit in our hearts, then it's just an intellectual academic exercise, and I, we're not interested in that. And so, God, I just pray for your spirit uh, to work in each heart here today, Lord. Uh, awaken faith in those who maybe haven't even believed in you, Jesus, and strengthen the faith and love uh, in each of us who have, God. And so we're just desperate for you now, Lord. We desperately need you. And we pray that you do a great work in our hearts in this time. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so we're at the end of the book of Mark. (coughs) And we've seen in the book of Mark that the kingdom of God has come. It's been ushered in by Jesus Christ, who came preaching for all to repent and believe in the gospel. We see that right out, right out of the shoot in chapter 1, verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel was the simple message Jesus preached. We've seen Jesus, the Son of Man, that's been vindicated through his suffering on the cross. Death and sin have been defeated through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And we'll see today as we end the book, his exaltation to the right hand of the Father. This is really our Easter message about a month early. 
<laughs> we got to work on our timing, guys. I mean, we just didn't time it right, you know? Uh, so it's our mess- Easter message about a month early. <coughs> and today we're going to see in our text three main points. So if you're you like to take notes and outlines and things, I I see really three main points here. I see there's the doubt and the unbelief of the disciples uh, in the first several verses. Then we see the rebuke and commission of the Lord Jesus, his final commands to us. And then we see his glorification to the right hand of the Father as we close the last uh, verse of the book. And so let's look at verse 9, chapter 16, verse 9. And we're continuing from last time. You remember that uh, he was buried, he's risen. Mary and some other women have gone to the tomb. And they're there to anoint him. And verse 9 says, Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive... And had been seen by her, they would not believe it. So here we have a first appearance noted by Mark. We'll just pause here for a minute. He appears to Mary Magdalene. And then she goes to tell the other disciples. But they don't believe it. They don't believe what she's saying. Now, this account is also in some of the other Gospels. So I thought we would, like take a look at those other gospels and what they have to say to give us a little bit more context of what's going on. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, the first 10 verses there, a little more expanding on what happened here. We see there in Matthew 28, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled the stone, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. I love it when angels talk. That's one of the first things they say is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. For he has risen, as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So that's uh, another account of the encounter Mary had. And it's also in the book of John. So I wanted to look there also so we can get like a fuller picture of what's happening here. John chapter 20, 11 through 18. We see some more expansion on this of what happened. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, She stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Oh, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced, the, announced, these, announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and all, that he had, all these things to her, all that he had said uh, to her. Now notice the response of the women. Nearly every emotion you can think of is expressed in this time. There was fear, joy, sadness, excitement, weeping when they find that Jesus' body is gone. Then great joy overcomes them when they run to tell the good news. So the women are running. They're running to tell the disciples the good news of Jesus' resurrection. The women immediately believe. There's a remarkable contrast here between their response and the response of the disciples. The women immediately believe they're excited, filled with great joy, and they're running to tell other people about it. And they, when they encounter Jesus, they cling to him, they worship him, they, they, they're just fully trusting in him. <clears throat> no doubt in their minds what has happened. But then they take the news to the disciples, and what, what's their response? Uh, unbelief, doubt. We'll see more of that in just a moment. Look at verse 12, back in Mark. Mark 16, 12. So that's the first... No, uh, record of an appearance to the women. Now we see another one. After these things, he appeared in another, con- in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but what? But they did not believe them. Like, man, seriously? And we see this in detail in Luke 24. So you're like, what, what, what account is this? What, what's happened here? Well, we can see it in Luke 24, starting at verse 13. <clears throat> that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is very interesting. He appears to his disciples many times for over like a 40-day period after his resurrection. And many times, he, they're like, he, they, don't know, they don't recognize him at first. That he looks different. He's coming in a different appearance, almost as if to test them. It's very interesting. So they were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. So you also see that in all the disciples. There's weeping, there's sadness, despair, like sheep without a shepherd. They're just sad and almost with no hope. And when the good news comes to them of his resurrection, they don't even believe it. It's really a sad sad state of affairs here. And so they're looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Like, where have you been, dude? Haven't you seen what's gone on? 
And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Oh, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Now, they heard that news, and they didn't believe it. And they're walking on the road to Emmaus sad. That's amazing to me. They just did not believe it at all. They're still very sad that Jesus is gone. He was the one to redeem Israel. There's just no hope now. Some of those who were with us went to see the tomb or went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. So he's talking about Peter and John. They ran to the tomb and saw that Jesus was gone. They also came back and told the, the people, hey, he's not there. And they still didn't believe. And he said to them, oh, foolish ones. It's Jesus talking. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, they still don't know this is Jesus. They don't recognize him as Jesus, the two men on the road. <clears throat> and so they drew near to the village, which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. So Jesus is like, well, guys, see ya. You know, I'm going to keep going. And, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, for it's evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. That's amazing. So they're there. It's kind of like that last supper scene. He takes the bread, he breaks it, he blesses it. And they suddenly realize this is Jesus. It's him. And as soon as that happens, he's gone. It's like, whew, poof, gone. Didn't walk out the door. <laughs> he's just gone. That's amazing. And they said to each other, can you imagine? They're like looking at each other. Did you see that? Did you see it? Where, where'd he go? Where'd, he's just gone. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? So they knew, there's like, there's something about this guy. How does he know all this about Jesus and the scriptures and the prophets? And their hearts were burning within them as he was talking to them and teaching to them. They, they just kind of knew it, but they, did, they just couldn't identify him. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So you see all the detail that was told there. And if you remember back from Mark, what we just read, what was the disciples' reaction to the two on the road? They didn't believe them. Amazing. 
didn't believe them. So you see the contrast here between you know, the women's response, the disciples' response. Amazing. These words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And so here we have this picture. The apostles, they're filled with fear and doubt and unbelief. And you know, as I read this passage, it's the the first natural response for me personally is to just, what a bunch of knuckleheads. You know, how, what's wrong with these guys? They got all this evidence. They got these people. I mean, these are dear friends of theirs. Peter and John run to the tomb. They see all of these things, and they don't believe. So my first response is, what's wrong with these guys? But then I think about it a little bit more deeply, and the Lord kind of pokes me in the heart and says, you know, you're just like them. <laughs> Ryan, you are just like them. And I start to think, yeah, I kind of am. I've seen God's work in my life for the last 47, 48 years. And so often I'm also filled with fear and doubt. And so I start to take comfort, you know, when I read a passage like this one. That there's hope for me. (laughs) There's hope for us all. Despite all the firsthand experiences they had with Jesus face to face, they still experienced fear and doubt and unbelief, and you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we're just like them. We're just like them. You know, you think about it, when the doctor's report comes back with bad results, when the stock market drops 3,000 points in a couple days, when the bills add up to more than our paycheck month after month after month, when our children make choices that break our hearts, when problems at work seem overwhelming, when our bodies hurt and ache so bad all over that we don't even know how we're going to make it through the day, when darkness seems to hide any ray of hope for our souls. In these situations and more, we're often filled with fear and doubt and anxiety, and we lose hope. Life hits us hard, sometimes like a punch in the mouth, doesn't it? But we can take comfort in the truth that Jesus has overcome the world. The fact is, the fact is, and this is the fact that the witnesses were trying to communicate to the disciples, the fact is Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. And through his death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, we who believe in him are set free from the bondage of sin and despair and death. We're free. We have a living hope in our souls through his resurrection from the dead. And through faith in Jesus, we have this living hope that never, ever fades. And as I was thinking of this, the words of Romans 8 came to my, came to my mind. And I was thinking, you know, that, the words of Romans 8 are, are a real anchor for our souls in those times when life hits us hard like a punch in the gut or a punch in the mouth. I'll summarize these words from Romans 8, which says, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, 
whether it's the bad medical report or the terrible bank account balance or whatever it might be, the wayward child, the ones who suffer, all of these things God calls us to work together for good. Somehow, some way, he does it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not, who, he who did not spare his own son but gave him for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Take comfort in that, brothers and sisters, today. Grab hold of that truth in your souls. And cry out to God. Call on his name, claiming that truth. And let's put away our fears and doubts and cry out to God for him to fill us with strong faith and hope and love in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus hears our prayers when we cry out to him and call on his name. He is a stronghold for all who trust in him. Now let's look at verse 14 back in Mark. <coughs> Mark 16, 14. Afterward, Jesus, says he, but that's Jesus, appeared to the eleven themselves that they, as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, clearly, the Lord isn't pleased with their unbelief and hardness of heart, is he? He's not happy at all with their lack of faith, their unbelief. If there's one thing that you see him constantly rebuke the disciples for, is their unbelief and hardness of heart. You know, they mess up a lot. They do a lot of things wrong. But it's unbelief and hardness of heart that he just cuts right to it. No tolerance for it. So he rebukes them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. He had told them many times, hadn't he, that they, he would suffer and be crucified and buried, raised from the dead on the third day. Over and over again he told them. He had appeared directly to the women at the tomb and the two on the road to Emmaus. To Emmaus. Between these two accounts alone, there were at least five eyewitnesses. 
five eyewitnesses in just those two accounts. But that wasn't good enough. They didn't believe them. And so now he's right there appearing in their midst directly. And we can see more about this account in Luke 24, 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So they think, oh, it's his ghost. It's the ghost of Jesus. He's right here. It's his spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. So he knows they think he's a spirit. And he's like, no, touch me. I'm not just a spirit. He says, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So they're even touching him. They're handling him. They're, they're still not fully convinced. They're like, is this real? And so he's like, well, I, I guess, you know, do you have something to eat? I'll prove it to you even more. I'll eat something. Not that he was necessarily hungry at this point. He's showing them that he's still fully God and fully man. He's real. He's not just a ghost or a spirit. And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. <clears throat> and then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He's telling them again. That message never gets old, by the way. That's the gospel. <laughs> He's just relaying the gospel to them again. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so you're going to see that at the end of each gospel. We need to go and proclaim his, the gospel of Christ to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now, this is the final command of Jesus to his disciples. Take note of it. All the explaining's been done. It's all come to this, the final command. What is the, what is the final command that we see? Go and proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere. That's the final command. Not go and, and be good boys and girls. Not go and... Study up on the book of Exodus and keep all of those, those rules and laws. Not that that's not important. He's saying, go and proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere. That's the final command. Jesus himself came proclaiming that we should repent and believe in the gospel to be saved. And so, brothers and sisters, we must do the same. We must go and tell others about the good news of the gospel. Now, I'm using the word proclaim here intentionally. A lot of your Bibles are going to say preach the gospel, and I use the word proclaim here intentionally because often when people hear the word preach, they say, oh, that's for the pastor. That's for the professional in ministry. They preach, 
I don't do that, so I'm exempt. But that word in the Greek means the same. Preach, proclaim, tell, go make it known. That's what that means. And so I'm, I'm changing the word here in the English on purpose to say proclaim because I don't want anyone in this room to get it in their head that all, I don't preach. Preaching's for the professionals. That's not me, so I'm exempt. No, we, we all have this command to go and proclaim the gospel and to call people to repentance. Two things are mentioned here. <clears throat> So what is repentance? What does that mean? If I'm asking you to go proclaim that people should repent, you need to know what that means. Well, here's what it means. It's very simple. These aren't big theological uh, concepts that you need seminary educations to uh, understand. Repentance is simply turning from your sin and turning to God. It's that simple. It's the act of turning you're turning around so think of it in your mind as turning around like a 180 degree turn i'm turning around i am right now in the the habit of following and loving and pursuing sin i'm not going to do that anymore i'm choosing a different way i'm going to turn and i'm going to turn from that sin and i'm going to turn to following jesus that's what repentance is You're making a conscious choice to stop following after sin and instead follow hard after God. That's repentance. So yes, when I proclaim the gospel, I am asking you to turn from sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. You're no longer a slave to sin. You need to be a slave to Christ and righteousness. That's what we read about in Romans. So that's repentance. We need to call people to repentance. Stop sinning. Stop following hard after sin. Now look, we're all going to continue to stumble and fall to sin, but it's not our pursuit. It's not the desire of our heart. When we repent and believe in the gospel and in Jesus Christ, our heart's desire is to serve the Lord Jesus and do his word and love. And yes, we mess, we mess up occasionally, but that's not the pattern. That's not the norm. So we call people to repentance. And then we call people to believe in the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? Well, believing in the gospel is trusting that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty we deserve for our sins. And that he rose from the dead to give us the promise of eternal life. That's the gospel message. It's that simple. Jesus died on the cross. He paid the penalty, took the wrath. We deserve for our sins. We're sinners. We deserve death. Jesus took it on the cross for us. He rose from the dead that we can have the promise of eternal life in him. Believe that and you will be saved. That's the gospel. It's simply trusting in Jesus and his work, not your own work. And I talk to so many people and they think, yes, I'm believing in Jesus and. So it's Jesus plus. And they'll start listing all these other pluses. And I have to come back to those things are nice. But that's not the gospel. The first part you had right. You, you stick to that. The other things that the plus, that's like fruit. That's fruit of the kingdom of God and the work of Christ in your life. That's not what saves you. 
by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is how we're saved. That's the gospel. And so we proclaim repentance, that all are sinners and must turn from their sins. We proclaim the gospel, that all must trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus to be saved. Now this is such a simple message to proclaim. And it has the power to save souls from eternal condemnation and hell. Notice what Jesus says here. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But, and don't leave out the second part, whoever does not believe will be condemned to hell and wrath and eternal suffering is what they're condemned to. Now, my hope and prayer is that we can make the proclamation of the gospel more natural in our lives. We've seen to, like, taken that out of our normal pattern of conversation, or maybe it was never there to begin with. And it seems to be some big, awkward elephant in the room that people are afraid of. And, and I'm speaking of myself, too. You know, I work at a job, and I have coworkers, and I'm like, how can I talk to them about the gospel? Ooh, that might be awkward right now. What will they think about me? What will they think about that? Is that going to cause a problem? And you start going through all this stuff in your mind of all these reasons why you shouldn't do that. Forget all that. It needs to be more of a natural part of just our daily joy and peace. And why we have daily joy and peace, it's through Christ and what he's done in our lives. And look, we don't need evangelism training or clever tactics or tools to persuade people. I've been through all of that stuff. I've probably been through like 10 different evangelism training programs. And I look back on that, I'm like, what, was this some kind of clever sales pitch? That I, I'm like trying to close a sales deal? That's what it feels like sometimes. No, we don't need that stuff. And people, we, we use it as an, as an excuse, too, in our modern church today. Well, you know, I'll start sharing the gospel after I go through evangelism explosion or the four spiritual laws training or, you know, whatever the latest fad is that that book is selling at the Lifeway store this week. Then I'll be ready. No, you're ready right now. If you've believed in Jesus, you're ready right now. You're ready now. And I truly believe if we make more time in our lives to love and serve and spend time talking with other people about real things, there's going to be lots of opportunities to share the hope that we have in Christ with other people and share the gospel with them. And it won't be awkward or a big elephant in the room. It'll be a natural part of our conversations. And through the words and the love and the service and the humility in those relationships, they'll want to hear it. They may not all agree with it. They probably won't at first. <laughs> but they'll be open to hearing it when God opens their hearts to it. And in those moments, in those moments with those people, we need not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but proclaim it with boldness and confidence and humility and love. Jesus gives us an example of this in his own ministry. We see it in John 10, verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? 
If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. His sheep hear his voice, and they come. Have you ever thought about that? They hear the gospel, and they believe. We're not doing a clever sales pitch or some kind of four-step outline to persuade someone to choose Jesus. The sheep are out there. They're everywhere. They're all over the place, all over the world. And when you are the voice of Jesus proclaiming the gospel to them, they hear it, and they come. God does that work in their hearts. You don't do the work in their hearts to save them. Doesn't that take a burden off of you? It does for me, because in the past, I've, I've approached it like, wow, you know, I got to, and I, I did, went through this in college, where I was in a, a group, and you, you went and shared the gospel with people, and you kept numbers, how many did you share with, how many made a decision, it was all, cap, you know, key performance indicators and metrics, and I'm like, this is awful. <laughs> I felt so pressured, and like, gee whiz, am I going to make my number this week? I mean, it was just like being in a sales position. It is awful, and that's real. That happens. But when you understand this truth, it changes everything. The sheep hear his voice, and they come. So you know what that says to me? I'm going to share the gospel with people. I'm going to tell them about the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. If they are a sheep, God's child chosen for salvation, they're going to believe, and they'll be saved when God saves them. And if they're not, it's not on me. I didn't do a bad job. <laughs> I don't need to change my technique or the words to try to be more relevant. The gospel is the gospel. And so take comfort in that, brothers and sisters. Share the good news of Christ openly and freely with others. And you'll be amazed at what God does through that. His sheep hear their voice, his voice, and they come. Notice what he says. I give them eternal life. Jesus does it. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand, is what he says. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. So here's how we do this, brothers and sisters. Here's how we do this. We simply share the love and hope that you have experienced in your walk with Jesus. No one can argue with your personal testimony. You just simply share the truth of the gospel and how your life has changed in following after Jesus. No one can argue with your personal testimony. You just share that. And do it with boldness and humility and love. <clears throat> Romans 10, 13 says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming? We got to go tell them. God will use your faithful proclamation of the gospel to save souls that they also can call on the name of the Lord. Now, as we look further through this passage, you'll see some interesting words back in Mark. If we can go back to Mark 16 about some of these signs that accompany those who believe. Some of them seem a bit troubling when you first read them. We we do see in the book of Acts that the apostles cast out demons. They spoke in new tongues and they healed the sick. And the, the word tongues here is languages, by the way. So they were languages. It wasn't some ecstatic utterance or some strange, like, you know, I've been in places where people are speaking in tongues and it's this gibberish type of thing. It's a very odd experience, and I don't know what to make of it most of the time. <clears throat> uh, but here it's, it's the word languages. And so we do see that that happens in the book of Acts. There's this part about, you know, they'll pick up serpents. Well, we, did, we do see that the Apostle Paul accidentally picked up a venomous serpent that bit his arm. Everyone thought he was going to die, but he didn't. He was not hurt. Now, this was an accident, though. We have no record in the book of Acts or the Bible of the apostles actively seeking out serpents to handle or drinking deadly poison on purpose to show God's power. You know, some people will latch on to these couple verses here and get themselves in big trouble. <clears throat> so I read these verses today as descriptions of the signs that were possible for the apostles. I, I don't advise anyone to go out testing the power of God by drinking deadly poison or trying to handle venomous snakes. Um, you know, I've, I've read about that or seen the accounts of that on the news where people try to do the snake handling thing and they die. <laughs> they die from it. No, the old brother so-and-so didn't have enough faith. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not, I'm not going to test that. Deuteronomy 6.16 says, tells, it tells us clearly, don't put your Lord, the Lord your God to the test. And so I'm not going to do it with snakes, I can tell you that. So that's all I have to say about those verses. <clears throat> We're not going to try that today. Sorry. Not today. So look at verse 19 and we'll close back in Mark 16. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. Now they're bold. He's in the right hand of God. We read the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. And they go out and they preach everywhere. They proclaim everywhere. All of them. While the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And we see that in the book of Acts. And these verses should encourage us most of all. Encourage us most of all that Jesus is the Son of Man spoken of in Daniel. Daniel 7 says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds, the Son of Heaven, or the clouds of Heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away. 
and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's our Savior. Jesus has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Jesus is powerful over all creation, and his kingdom will not pass away. So, brothers and sisters, when we face doubts and fear and unbelief, we can turn to Jesus and trust that he is in control. When our hearts are restless and anxious, we can come to Jesus and find rest for our souls in him. Through faith in Jesus, we are children of God. We are his sheep, and nothing can snatch us from his hand. Nothing. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So be encouraged in your hearts today, brothers and sisters. Let's count our blessings in Jesus Christ and tell the world of the great love and salvation that we have in him. This is his final command to us. Go and proclaim the gospel to everyone everywhere. Make disciples, teach all that he commanded us. And lo, he is with us always. He will never leave us or forsake us. Amen.